As I was getting ready and reviewing and preparing for my sermon this morning, one of E.M. Edward McKendrick Bounds' book on prayer called The Power Through Prayer, he talks about the whole concept of prayer, and he says this, you know how in life we often, we want life to be better, we want it more convenient, we want it easier, less trouble, we want, it, we want life to be better. And he says, men look for better methods. God looks for better men. I thought, wow. I've read that phrase before. I think I've even used it before. But it hit home this morning as I was getting ready to, to come here and to, um, to preach this sermon. One of the things we'll notice as we go through Paul's writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, one thing we'll find is that Paul has a heart of gratitude. And I've been thinking about this. Am I thankful in all of what we've gone through? Do I have a heart of gratitude? Well, I'm at peace. I don't have regrets that way, but you always wish, you know, I could have said more. I could have. But all in all, am I a man of thankfulness? Somebody put it this way once on social media. He said, if you would wake up in the morning with only the things you're thankful for, how much would you have? Wow. I mean, if I woke up in the morning and the only things I possess are what I'm thankful for, would I all of a sudden have a very little amount of whatever it is that I have? Sometimes in life, we forget and we need to be reminded and these hard times that we go through when there's loss, there's sorrow, there's grief, it has a wonderful way of recalibrating your brain, your mind, your heart. It has a wonderful way of bringing things back to ground zero, back to the reset button. Maybe it's time for me to evaluate once again, how is my heart? Am I a thankful person? Paul was. You see, when Paul wrote Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, he was serving time. He was chained. He was not a free man. And yet we find nothing but gratitude in the life of Paul. And I think about that. How difficult would life have to be for me for gratitude to just swoop out the window and it's gone? Maybe just a flat tire down the road. Well, I won't go to meet a friend. People become unthankful very quickly sometimes. A missed appointment, a misfortune of some kind. Paul is an interesting man to study. It was as if God forged his life on the anvil of hardship and suffering and pain. In Acts, when he talks to Ananias, the Holy Spirit talks to Ananias in Damascus, go to so-and-so street and baptize, and there's Paul, he's praying and Ananias is not very interested in going. He says, I heard a lot about that guy. And God says, he's a chosen vessel of mine. I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And Paul did suffer tremendously. But in all of Paul's hardships and all of his ob obstacles that he faced, we never find him complaining. I remember years ago when I uh, wanted to buy tools and it said that, that it was a drop forge tool. What's drop forge mean? What's drop forge? 
So now we have YouTube, now we can look it up, what drop forge. It's, it's, when, it's when a red hot piece of metal that comes out of the foundry, it's, it's placed in a, in a die and it is boom, boom. It's stamped, it's pounded, literally forced into shape. Or you take a red piece of iron and you just hammer it and hammer it and hammer it, shaping it into what it's supposed to become. Paul's life was like that, forged on the anvil of hardship and suffering. Metal like that is stronger than other metals. Steel that has been forged has a different, a different molecular structure, they say, and it becomes stronger that way. Paul was that. One of the things you do not find about Apostle Paul is a complaint. I don't find him complaining. If he ever did, it's not recorded. He did talk about hardships that so-and-so was causing him and warning people. He did talk about those, but we do not find Paul ever complaining. If he did, it's not recorded, but we don't find it. I can't say the same. I've complained a lot. Maybe all of us have. Reason for repentance. And if anybody would have had reason to complain, Paul would have had. Unjustly arrested, unjustly brought before trial, unjustly chained and thrown in jail, and he's continuously thanking God. And the Ephesians letter is basically, in a nutshell, talks about our position in Christ, what we were and what we've become. And Paul just so thankful. Phil alluded to that last Sunday. Listen to a little part of his sermon online. And it, it's true. And so Paul wants to focus on the blessings they had been given, their position, who they were in Christ, what the, from where they had come to, what they had become, and through what. It's a, just a wondrous illustration. And he's giving thanks to God. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning verse 15, he says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. That was his obsession. That was his heart and mind. Writers say that he probably started that church about 10 years prior. News had come to him where he was suffering in jail that this church is doing great, they're doing fine, and he's so overjoyed, he's got to let him know. He's got to write a letter. He can't go personal, but he writes a letter. It wasn't email or texting, it was a letter. Weeks of travel, possibly. He's praying, thanking God for the church. The qualities of life he's noticed, he's heard about, he's excited about it. Oh, Paul is suffering, but that's nothing to him. He's only glad that what's going on in Ephesus. He has a heart of thanksgiving. And that puts him in the right frame of mind and heart to pray, right? I remember when I went to Bible school many years ago, one week the professor told us in the course, the course was called Spiritual Disciplines. He said, this next week, I don't want you to ask for a single thing in prayer. You just thank and praise God. That's all you do. I'd suggest you try it sometime. Try it for one prayer, then for another. Don't ask for a single thing in prayer. Just thank God for what He's done, is doing, and has promised to do, what He's done for you. Thank God, just, just thank Him. Oh, sure, you have lots of needs, and that's not that they shouldn't pray about them, but for one, for a certain time, just thank Him. Just praise Him. See what will happen to your heart. 
It's so easy to be so obsessed and so focused on my needs, poor, poor me, and we forget about what God is doing. He says, I thank God. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. He's praying with thankfulness. I would go as far as to say this. If we cannot thank God, then there's a problem, a real problem. And maybe we are in life sometimes where we feel we cannot thank God. And I'm not talking about lamenting pain, lamenting sin. Those are things that we do as well. But we should always have a heart of gratitude toward God. Paul had that. And if my thankfulness is conditional, if my gratitude is conditional upon circumstances, then there's a real issue. Or maybe you're in a place this morning where you'll say, well, I can't do that. Well, let's just face it. What's the alternative? Unthankfulness? Unthankfulness will never work. It's, it's toxic. It's destructive. It's sin. We're commanded in the Bible to give thanks in all things. And notice what he says in verse 17. He says, I pray for you constantly, thank, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in, the, in your knowledge of God. So he's thanking God, and then on that foundation of gratitude, he's asking God to bless them. Continually thanking God for the saints in Ephesus and then praying to God on that foundation of gratitude, asking God that they will grow. That's his concern. That's his heart. That's his mind. And if you read the book of Acts, where Paul served in Ephesus, it wasn't always easy. When that church was planted, there were problems too in terms of opposition in terms of resistance to the gospel. Won't have time to this morning to go into that. But there, were, it was not like the church just kind of started by itself. Everybody's so receptive and so eager and excited to repent of their sin. It wasn't like that. Paul suffered in Ephesus. There was resistance. Paul wants them to connect with God. If we go through all of Paul's writings in kind of an overall view in the back in the book of Romans, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because he says it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And in this praying it comes out how deeply to God, he's connected to God on a spiritual level and he wants this for the Ephesian church. He says your knowledge of God. I wonder what we could compare that with. Knowledge of God. He's praying for that, knowledge of God. We have knowledge about things, but do we have knowledge of God? I think one of the comparisons that we perhaps could draw upon would be a marriage relationship. A woman and a man, deeply loved, married for many years, totally united as one body, one flesh. Different persons, different hearts, but truly one. Sometimes it has happened in life when a man and woman are married for many, many decades that when one passes away in a matter of hours, the other spouse also passes away. Not because of necessarily a disease or sickness, but because of the emotional connectedness that they have between each other. It's a beautiful picture. Paul is thanking God for these people continually, he says. He keeps on praying for them. They'll develop and they'll grow, learn more about God. And he prays for their hearts. Notice verse 18. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people, who are as rich 
and glorious inheritance. Sometimes it happens that people who love Jesus, who are following Jesus, they feel they're not ready or unable to witness for God's, of God's goodness and grace. They feel inadequate. They feel un, unqualified and, and unprepared. And you know what? I would say this to you. Don't worry about it too much. Just be, just be a disciple of Jesus. He'll take care of it. If your heart is right with God and your relationship to Him is good, and you're in tune with God, there's a, God has a wonderful way of using our inadequate, frail ways to serve and minister to others. What, did, what verse did we just hear? And I hadn't told the music team to, to read that verse, but, but Paul says, I'll boast about my weaknesses because that's when God can use me. That's true. That's very true. He's praying that the hearts of the Ephesians will be flooded with light, that they can understand this confident hope that they've been called to. And we're not all the same. We're, not, we're, not, we're, we're all equal before Christ, but we're not all blessed the same way. We're, we're just different. And sometimes it's important that we don't pigeonhole or categorize people unfairly. I remember reading a, listening about a, of a story of a man who was a devoted follower of Jesus. And he felt it his burden, his calling to help the other guy, his friend, to also become a follower of Jesus. And in his mind, the other guy was not a follower of Jesus. And so he felt it his duty, his obligation, his burden to help his buddy become a follower of Jesus too. And I'll just tell the story the way I remember it, and I'll just call him Jeff and Bob. And so Jeff was a Christian, had been a Christian, had become a Christian, was very devoted, very, very on fire for Christ. And But in his world, Bob was not a Christian. And he was burdened that Bob would become a Christian too. That he would have this growth experience, this enlightenment experience, this spiritual maturing, that, he, that would come to him too. But the problem was, Bob was wondering, why is Jeff so hard on me? What's, wh why does Jeff not think I'm a Christian? I'm a Christian. Why, is, why does Jeff have a problem with me? And he didn't get it. And Jeff was just deeply concerned about Bob. That's all it was. And so this goes on, and Jeff's trying to witness to Bob, and Bob doesn't understand what Jeff's problem is. And One day, these two guys are sitting in a, in a house in the living room somewhere, and Jeff is just trying to convince Bob he needs to become a Christian. Bob's getting tired of the constant pressure. He thinks he is a Christian. In the room they're sitting and across the table, I think it was, and one day, one, all of a sudden, Bob just says to Jeff, he interrupts him and says, you see that light bulb hanging there? Yep. Can you hear it? Nope. Can you see it? Yep. That's how you should be, Bob says. The way I remember the story, Jeff stopped bothering Bob. Now, I'm not saying for a minute that we should not witness. We should at work, at school. We should witness. We should say things. We should, our speech should reflect that we're followers of Jesus. But what I want to point out is this. Unless it's grounded on a foundation that people cannot argue with, they'll shoot it down. Well, you're not living it. Well, I mean, if I live like you, then what's the difference? Can people look at us and say, wow, what an illustration of God's grace. What an illustration of God's mercy. So Paul was preaching to the, to the Ephesian church in this letter, but he had lived it. He was exemplifying. He was modeling this. There was this massive overarching evidence, this hard, rock-hard, solid life that Paul had built. 
And so everything he was saying was pointing to, this is what I'm doing. This is what Christ has done in me. This is who God is in, in my life. There was lots of light. There was growth happening. There was confidence. But he goes further. Let's read verse 19. He says, I also pray, he's adding to it, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. See, Paul just goes further. He expands the horizons. He's not satisfied with just the basic introductory level of understanding and comprehension of the gospel. You see, when I went to school, and I learned basic addition, subtraction, and multiplication, and division, I got math covered. I knew all there was to know about mathematics. I had figured it out. I knew and understood math. Little did I know that I had barely understood the ABCs of math. I remember when I tried to get my grade 12 high school certificate and as an adult in my 20s, I realized, wow, there's a whole new universe called math. It's a language on its own. Understanding it was complicated. I struggled, I fought, I battled to get things like trigonometry, whatever that, I forget what it was. I do remember faintly. Algebra, equations. It was fascinating stuff, but I've forgotten most of it because I never use it. But I had to learn it to get the certificate or the whatever they hand out. You see, that's a little bit how it works in the spiritual realm. Too many people today, I say the sinner's prayer and do a few good deeds. Okay, now I'm a Christian. I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying if that's where you stop, I feel sorry for you. That's the introduction. That's getting in the door. Why not grow? Why not develop? Why not become a spiritual giant like Paul? Why not? We're called to it. See, Paul's not just sat up with a basic level of understanding and comprehension who they are in Christ. He wants more. He wants them to, to develop. A, a tiny tree is a tree just like any other tree, whether it's six inches tall or 60 feet tall, it's a tree. But you can do a lot more with a 60-foot tree within a six-inch one. And he talks about this, this power. This power of God for us who believe, he says. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's awesome. You ever stop to think about that? There's all kinds of power. Watch a space shuttle launch when they used to do that, or all kinds of power. Watch the power of gravity. We were at Niagara Falls for, for two days this last week after my mom's funeral, we, and I just said, we're going to go away for a few days. Watch the water falling over the, the precipice. Power, incredible power. Where does it come from? Who created it? Who, who manages it? And then this whole thing about power of life. Unbelievable. This morning at our breakfast table, we had some fresh tomatoes from our garden. I said to my wife, you know that little seed dropping the ground, the sun shines on it, and then it sprouts and it grows, and this nice, big, juicy tomato comes out of that. Wow. But that's nothing compared to bringing death to life, what God did with Jesus. And we're promised the same thing. 
God's power for us who believe. An eternal, unlimited, boundless power that cannot and will not fail. It won't spare us from suffering, but it does something far better. It sustains us through suffering. That supersedes protection from suffering. Not only did God's power raise Jesus from death to life, from death to life, it seated him in the place of the heavenly realms. I believe in this life we will never fully realize, understand, or grasp what this really is. I think we'll understand it on the other side, where my mom is now, but not here. So, what Paul is doing, he says, he's praying continually for their spiritual life, that they will develop, they will grow, they will learn. They'll be flooded with light, there'll be confidence, they'll have an understanding of God's power, as much as we can handle this life, I guess. Is that all? No. Listen, it goes further, let's read on. Then he says, verse 20, Now he is, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. You know, folks, it doesn't get better than that, to be part of that. That is literally awesome. Let's, let's package this a little bit so we can get a better grasp. Note the wording of the statement. Note, note this here, the next slide here. It says this here, God is above any ruler, that means government, all governments. God is above any authority, no law, body, or supreme court, what have you, is above this. God is above any authority. He's above all power, that means military might. There's no military that supersedes him. He's above all leaders, he's above all influence. He is above everything. Note the wording of that, it's impressive. Not just this world, it's the world to come. But there's even more. God has made Jesus head over all of it, and what for? It says for the benefit of the church. But notice what he says next in verse 23. Then he says this, And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere. So I want to ask you, are you part of the church? Are you a follower of Jesus? then you're part of the church. That's awesome. That's amazing. And when you're part of a body like this, that means you care about that body. You're devoted to it. Just like your own body. Every one of us here takes care of our bodies. We feed our bodies, we, we dress our bodies, we clothe our bodies, we warm our bodies, we go to an air conditioner when our body gets too hot. We do things with our bodies to keep them well. You and I are part of that body of Christ. We know that Jesus went, came from heaven to this earth, lived and died, rose from the dead, but today he's living in his body, in the church. He's living in this world through you and I, through us. You and I, we are the church. Paul understood this. Paul grasped this. And it excited him. 
And he was bound with chains in prison. It didn't deter him. It didn't dampen his enthusiasm, his excitement for Jesus. You see, our position in Christ is far more than we'll ever fully understand in this world. And we should try to understand as much as we can. We should spend our lives exploring this, growing in this. We do want to grow to maturity in our walk with Jesus. So what I want to say is this. Prayer, as Paul describes, should be so high on our list as he's praying that we should never even think of not praying. I'm not saying we walk around all day, every day with eyes closed. That's not what this is about, but a prayerful heart. Prayer is one of those things that we will never do away with. It cannot be outlawed. It cannot be eliminated. Prayer will never be banned. Oh, they may try, but it will never happen. It's one thing I would encourage us to do more. Pray. Pray for each other. Pray for the church. With thanksgiving. With gratitude. Does it mean we'll all be easy and okay? No, it doesn't. I just want to encourage us that way. So let me close with this. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, you're part of this body. Then this pertains to you. Maybe you're here, you've never made that choice. Why not? What are you afraid of? If you've sensed the call but been putting it off, you still have time. Time will run out. And you are responsible for how you respond to the invitation. All who respond, Jesus receives. Our position in Christ is that we are God's children. We're purchased with the blood of Christ. We're made heirs with Christ in his kingdom. We are his body. He's part of his body. We connect with him through prayer. My desire, my prayer, my longing is that we would develop a hunger, an insatiable thirst for him, so that nothing in this world will override and overrule that. Because soon, we all will face him. We will meet with him. And may that meeting be a joyful reunion. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, your apostle Paul suffered so much. He stayed focused. He endured the pain. He stayed the course. He finished well. Lord, I just pray that as we deal with life, as we navigate the roads of life that you laid out before us, we too would be people who pray with thanksgiving, hearts of gratitude for what you've done for us, where you're taking us, and what you're doing with us. Lord, may we be, may we be a people filled with your Spirit, living in joy and in contentment, anticipation, what you're doing with us, because sooner or later, all of us, some of us sooner, some of us later, will meet with you, and may that time be a joyful time for us when we see you. As your Apostle Paul wrote, wrote in Philippians, he longs to be with you. May that be our longing as well. In your precious name we pray. Amen.